to the July 2020 edition of Bookplate. Find us on the web at foreveryoungadult.com. Join a book club chapter in your area or start your own by visiting us online and clicking on the book club link at the top. Don't forget to check out our monthly themed wallpaper created by graphics goddess Mandy C, which is always featured at the top of the page. Today I'm Annie, sound engineer host, and in this book I am a stoop sitter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Britt, and in this book, I am or would like to be Miss Galliano because she is like hashtag teacher goals. Yes, best teacher. I am Amanda, and in this book, I am an onlooker on the subway, like being unable to look away from two teens making out like crazy and knowing I should just like, I don't know where to put my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) They just keep coming back. Our amuse-bouche is always the bite of we're gonna, what we're going to get into today with our meal. And our amuse-bouche for this month is, this book is about a girl, a girl who can't catch a break, a girl whose body is commented on and used as a commodity against her will, a girl who is just finding she wants to talk to boys, but whose religious mummy has made it very clear that is not allowed. There are too many emotions for her to say, so she writes it. She writes it all down. She puts her heart into it, thinking no one will ever want to hear it until one day, she finally finds her voice and it's not a small thing. Hers are words that belong on stage. This is the 2018 National Book Award for Young People's Literature by Elizabeth Acevedo. That's a good summary. That is my attempt at poetic. <laughs> <laughs> I felt it. Our other cover take, which is when we ask our significant others what they think the book is about just by looking at the cover is Jamal, my significant other said it's about colorful revolutionary poetry stuff correct (laughs) garrett said it is about a girl who maybe gets a writing scholarship and has to prove extra hard that she belongs because the school is super white and she doesn't fit their traditional idea of a poet which i would like to read that story as well yeah (laughs) (laughs) Phil said that he thought it was about some sort of underground graffiti scavenger hunt. I don't know. That also sounds fine. <laughs> <laughs> no poetry at all? No, nope. I guess he thought maybe that was like a cool like term of like, you know, one of the masterminds behind it. The poet X. Oh, I kind of like that. <laughs> Which cover did you show him? Did it have the like the lines on it? It was pink and black and white. I don't remember anything else about it, but it was like a like lots of color, and I think they had like some spray paint art behind Bagley. It was it was a couple of months ago? <laughs> so. uh, I'm just curious. I mean, it's just so fascinating to me that everyone has different ideas, right? Um, all right, our appetizer is apples and a book in verse, also a quiet, quick wit. So. And oh my God, now I'm totally forgetting her name. Ziomara, right? Mm-hmm. She, one of her favorite foods is apples. And it was only at the end of the book that I figured out that that's also a metaphor for kind of the book of the, the fruit of knowledge. Apples are what Eve, you know, takes a bite of because of the snake and throws everyone into chaos. That's a but, good, you know, good point. I hadn't realized that. I feel like that's very savvy of Annie. <laughs> yeah, I, didn't I finally that either. like, duh. Well, also, religion is like a huge part of the book, right? Like yeah. her mother 
severely religious, like wanted to be a nun and ended up with children in New York instead of Dominican Republic. And uh, so I, and then, you know, it's a book in verse, it's a poem. And so sometimes words are doing double duty, right? Mm -hmm. They're doing, they're doing the word and the metaphor, right? I mean, that's all about poetry is like, how can we get the language to work as hard for us as possible while making it look as easy as possible? (laughs) (laughs) You could like have a course on that. That's like a great flow. I used to write a lot of poetry in high school. (laughs) I didn't read the book. I listened to the audio book, which is read by the author and she's a spoken word author. And so it really does have a lyrical phrasing and and voicing to it that I really enjoyed. But Amanda, you read it from the page, right? I did. I read like a Kindle version of it. So not only did I read it like on the page, but I feel like the formatting was really weird. Like it wasn't formatted necessarily how it was supposed to be. There weren't like necessarily clear definitions of when poems would start and, you know, that would, cause sometimes she like, it's in verse, like, but it's also, she will have full poems that she's written excerpted in there too. And there wasn't like a lot of difference between the text. Yeah, I also listened in audio, which yeah, it was really great. Like her delivery was just really powerful and like the way that she put emphasis on certain words and syllables like you can tell like she's done this before Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it worked really well totally and in the story she's writing all of her words in in her book that was a gift from her twin brother because she doesn't know how to say them out loud so in the story she's like very quiet until she's pushed and then she has this like kind of sharp barb of a tongue Mm -hmm. um and my favorite example was when they go to the basketball court and they're watching basketball and one of the basketball guys tries to hit on her and he and and she's like you couldn't even handle the ball how could you handle me and i was just (laughs) yes that's a good I had been able to say to people when I was seven, 16 or 17, she's really young in the book too. Yeah. It seems like she's, even if she is quiet, she's a subject of notice. She's someone right. who has, has to have dealt with like aggression from other people and has sort of made her way of dealing with that, her defining characteristic to other people. I don't think internally it is, but that's what she presents to the world is I am someone who knows how to handle myself. Yeah. And don't fuck with like the people that I love because I will come mm-hmm. for you because she also feels like the need to and has like physically protect her brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt I felt that I, I she was a bit pigeonholed into that role. Right. I definitely, you know, I think that's something that happens when you're a teen and growing is like people recognize you and know you for a certain pattern. And then all of a sudden when your patterns start to change, it's like they're not recognized or known Mm -hmm. or even given the space to change. Right. You know, or how like anger can seem different on different bodies. I think like they, she makes a big deal of saying like, I'm big girl. Like I am strong looking and her anger is much more um, scary to think to other people. Like, it's not like, Oh cute. Look at the little girl. She's so angry, which I feel like a lot of short girls who are mad get like, so mm-hmm. it just became her. Like they see her, they see anger. I think teenage girls are often considered angry when they're just when like they're allowed to be when they're treated like when they're treated like this and not given voice and not given space. And 
attacked and groped and mm -hmm. called all types of names just because they fit their genes a certain way. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. that's, of course you'd be angry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially because like, you know, she can't control the way that her body is developing and like, it seems like her mother is holding her responsible for other people's reactions to her body. Exactly. So, Absolutely. Like, that frustration as well of like, you know, guys catcalling her and making like gross and inappropriate comments and then her being told that like it's her fault somehow. Mm -hmm. Right. Like it's Eve's fault. She ate that <laughs> apple. Mommy She's is a trip. <laughs> <laughs> Our main course is Sancocho, which is a traditional Dominican Republican, Dominican Republic meat and vegetable stew, or DR, meat and vegetable stew, which is where her family's from. And for the topics, I have New York as a child of immigrants, and uh, I have a few, but we can talk about New York as a child of immigrants, kind of like culture clash, and then like the teenage coping mechanisms that we see um, in the book. Yeah, I think I think this was I've you know watched movies and 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 read some stories, but I think this was the first book I read where like that culture clash, that immigrant experience, especially as like the first generation born in the U.S., was like so fluid throughout the whole novel and like was held and obvious throughout the whole novel without saying like this is how it is for us. This is how it is for them. You know, there was, there wasn't explaining or telling because it's this poetic language. It just is. Mm -hmm. And it was like so visible to me in a way that I don't think I've seen it done before. I thought, yeah, I felt like I've heard about people from different cultures where they're not allowed to date in high school, but I never felt it as strongly as here. I was like, Oh, Oh, this is a transgression. I didn't understand before. Like, so I thought it was really illuminating about different, her different culture. And I, I thought it was really interesting that her mom and her friend and everybody else held up the Dominican Republic as a place you go to get right. Mm -hmm. Like where you'll be sent, like to make sure that you're living right. And I thought that was sort of interesting, like being here, but that's the place of rightness. I don't know. That was kind of interesting. It was the place of, it was the threat, right? Like, we'll send you away, but also it's the place where you learn how to be proper, some, like, proper, like, like how a it person is from the correct. Like, that's right. like, we want you to be here and have the opportunities, but we don't want you to be here and not be proper. Mm. Yeah, I definitely, it was an interesting take on the, you know, the idea that, um, immigrant parents you know want their children to have better opportunities and a better life than they did but like to the mom I feel like she had this very I want to say warped but very very specific idea of like what success meant and it was just all rooted in like this very religious like I wanted to be a nun and I couldn't so you need to be as close as you can kind of thing. Yeah, be a doctor, but also like, be and a that was, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, and that that was her idea of, like, you know, opportunity. Because, like, for her, that was taken away because, like, you know, she got trapped in this marriage that she, like, didn't want and, mm -hmm. you know, had to sort of make do with it. But she's like, damn it, <laughs> that will not happen to I my daughter. I will live through her. Yeah. 
Well, and it's, I mean, it's immigration is supposed to give you more economic viability, but then her mom is the breadwinner and also trapped in this like physical labor work mm-hmm. where she's, I feel like she was working more than one job, but she was definitely working most of the time. And then the father was not working. And like, there is even a poem about like an absent father who's still there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. Cause I don't even think she like, it was like an arranged marriage, wasn't it, for her mother? It wasn't even like she was like, oh, my God, I fell in love with this guy, and then he turned out to be not who I thought it was. It was like, you need to go to America, and this is how you go, is that you marry this specific person. So, I, yeah, her mom's yeah. life was all taken away from her. Like, I thought another interesting thing was that, like, a lot of times you read about marriages of convenience or whatever where they grow to love each other, and that was not the case. <laughs> yeah. Like, it was just – they're just – two adults who exist in the same space and like share kids yeah and yeah yeah and the mother's power was kind of in the rigidity of the space mm-hmm. like her power came from enforcement mm-hmm. from love I thought the teenage coping mechanisms felt real really real to me too I mean the writing in the book of course you know your diary or whatever you want to call it and also there's a scene where like they go to the movies and it's so she can hang out with her boyfriend and Mm -hmm. you know I feel like that lie is like a rite of passage oh yeah like I'm definitely (laughs) lying to my parents I was gonna go see a movie and I'd go see another one or like whatever yeah yeah lying little bastards we all were I remember I I rarely ever lied to my mom, but there was one time when I wanted to go hang out and make out with my girlfriend in high school. And so I like, and we had happened to have some other friends who were going to a movie. So I told my mom I was going to movies with them. And like, I researched the <laughs> shit out of that movie. Let me tell you, I was ready for any question that she would have thrown at me about the plot of that movie. Gosh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> what movie was it? Uh, it was a movie. It was a tennis movie with Kirsten. Oh, Dice, I love I that movie, Wimbledon. It's such a cute rom-com. Yes. It, it really is. <laughs> I don't like rom-coms, but it is freaking adorable, and you should totally watch it. I've never seen that. I didn't even know. I mean, I know. That's It'll be cool. tennis. I have not seen it either. <laughs> you told so many years ago. <laughs> you finally made it right by seeing Wimbledon. <laughs> yeah the I mean this book is like it's pretty short so it's like it goes really fast and like you kind of go through all of the emotions really fast but it's really about like she gets a first crush she figures out that she likes poetry and then like there's a clash a culture clash between her wanting to like actually date somebody or leave the house or have any sort of control over her life and and part of that is being in poetry club um the first crush was like really cute. You know, there's a lot of, again, classic teenage scenes, like sharing the earphones when you're listening to the same music. <laughs> the mu- I know, music again is here, like a, how they get to know each other, you know, and like bumping elbows because they're at the same table in science. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that, like first electric touches of someone else that you might be interested in. But then there's this scene that is probably one of the more impactful scenes I've, I've read in a book and it's when her mother discovers the book of poetry and she's put all these poems about her family including her difficult relationship with her mother and she burns it yeah that was just it was really rough it was like she was being burned 
it was her mom's symbolic burning of her. It was terrible. Her as like a loose woman, again, like that kind of like witch or like sexually in empowered being, you know, persecution in that way. But yeah, I think, I mean, as a person who wrote poetry in high school and has had an outlet with writing and this, you know, tie to it as a place where you kind of put your whole self, you know, you put your heart, your feelings. That was, I'm still getting, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. It was so intense and I could not imagine forgiving someone who did that. Yes. And the fact that they brought about this forgiveness, like by talking to her on her level, by going to the priest and bringing him into it so he could be there to provide the other viewpoint of like, okay, maybe God isn't so much burning your children's books. Like that was like really generous of her to participate in counseling on her mom's terms. You know what I mean? Yeah. That seemed like the closest to family therapy that they were probably going to get. Well, and I also think she realized that was the only way she was going to be able to talk to her. Like she wasn't leaving the house. She she had a couple more years of school left. She was going to have to find some way to survive. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah or leave you know at one point she does leave the house and goes to the boyfriends but like no she wants to be she loves her twin we're gonna need some help getting through things you know we find out in during the story that he's gay and of course you know if they're not okay with her dating anyone it's and they're this religious of course they're not going to be okay with twin dating anyone that's not a woman no i kind of like that the parents didn't find out, right? No. At all? no. Uh, yeah, I think that that was a really interesting choice because, like, just seeing how the mom reacted to her, I don't know. I'm I'm just somebody who, like, I just tend to jump to, like, the worst conclusion and, like, my brain will fill in the blanks. And so that was just really powerful because, like, the author didn't even need to talk about, like, what would happen if... Um, if Xavier, you know, if his parents found out that he was gay, because, like, just based on, you know, the mom's reaction to Ziomata, like, you can imagine, oh, my God, like, it's going to be so much mm-hmm. worse. And I did, did like that, that her whole family at the end did her slam poetry tournament. And you could see, at least in her father, him opening up and hearing her. And maybe that's providing some foundation that will make things easier for Twin later on. Mm. I hope. I hope, anyway. I mean, having the art be the bridge, right? Mm-hmm. Having having the quiet person who's not allowed to speak have her words be the thing that brings the family together. Like, all of that is very powerful imagery and, and storytelling. I just, I want to comment on one thing. One of the things that really stood out for me is after her mother burns the book she makes her kneel down at the family like shrine or you know where they have their prayer place in the house and she makes her kneel on grains of rice on rice Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) and I was just like that's such a like torture thing that like I mean it's not it's not going to draw blood right depending on how long you make somebody kneel there but it's both this like penitent Mm -hmm. and pain thing so tied up in like Christianity and just like the way it's been enacted on people you know Christianity is an imported religion in Dominican Republic it's not the the local religion Christianity is imported through 
pain by like forcing people to worship that and follow that religion and then to be so like tied to it as an identity like all of that is just like uh, I don't know how you unpack trauma like that except through art and poetry you know like that's mm -hmm. how that's how we learn about ourselves is reading these stories that are complicated about other folks as well okay so for dessert I have birthday cupcake she has a birthday during the book and by this point she's in the poetry after school class that the teacher, Ms. Ms. Galliano has like drawn her into as the most amazing teacher in the world would. <laughs> and she sees her potential. <laughs> doesn't give up. <laughs> and the topic is like adults, good adults that are not the parents. And there's Ms. Galliano and the priest and the priest's name is Father Sean. And I just really appreciated that so much. Yeah. Oh, it's nice to know that your family isn't everything, you know, like, and you can find support outside of it. I think that's good for kids to realize that maybe if they're not feeling so great at home, there's places they can try to look. Cause I, yeah, I, no, oh, I'm sorry. Done. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm done. Yeah. Like I said, my brain likes to jump to the worst possible conclusion. So when she was like alone with father Sean, I was like, please do not let him be like, a creepy molester because like that is the last thing she needs, that she needs right yeah. now like not that anybody does but like you know just everything and all of these you know random boys and men who make passes at her and then to have it be like somebody she trusts like that would just be horrible so i'm glad that he's not a creep <laughs> yeah and he wasn't even just not a creep like he took her seriously like she had questions in her confirmation class about the religion and you know whether she believed it or whether she thought it was, you know, I can't think of the word, but like right or whatever. And he didn't just dismiss them and say, shut up and fill in this form so we can confirm you. <laughs> yeah. Like, literally true. encouraged her to think about it and take it more seriously, which I wish all religious leaders would do because then I think religion would be better. Yeah. And he realized also he was the only person who could talk to her mom. Like she went to him, but he is literally the only person that could talk to her mom. The the religious father figure was the only one who's going to be able to like get her mom to like rethink what was happening. And I mean, it was a risk for him to do that because her mom is kind of like intense. And also, I think they said before he was like an outsider to the community. Like he wasn't Dominican. He was Jamaican. Yeah. So like he, he they said something before about him not knowing certain things about their culture or whatever. So that was like a big step for him to like insert himself in there. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. I like it when we have religious figures that are not awful. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Go father. Do you want to say more about Ms. Galliano? I mean, you said teacher goals, but man, she was just like, every, I mean, I totally have a crush on her, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I just, I feel like she is just, you know, that teacher that you would, like, remember well into your adulthood as the one who, like, didn't give up on you or, like, you know, really knew what you needed or was there to listen to you, you know. Yeah, and, I mean, she tried, too. She tried to go to the ha to the parents' house, right, and talk to yeah. the mom and, yeah. Which, again, super brave because, you know, it's not going to be met with, like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. You're right. <laughs> Have some tea. Let's discuss. Like, you know you're going to get yelled at. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's a really good example of like the role we want teachers to play in our lives versus like the role that we give teachers the salary and, <laughs> and time for, you know? Cause yeah. Yeah. I mean, she went above and beyond. We have to wear so many hats. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's like, we are teacher, we are childcare, we are parent, social worker, like therapist, like all of these roles really that we have to play. Um, yeah, it's a lot. It's too much. <laughs> so, it's way too much. Yeah, it, def it definitely is. I think, and you know, there is the trope of like the English teacher being the like life-changing person teacher why is it always the English teacher you know <laughs> but when I think I mean, back to my high school like the two English teachers that like really cared about me and like reached out to me pretty sure both of them were gay one of them we knew on the DL but now when I look back at the other one I'm like oh you were both you both were queer you were not out at my very conservative high school and you probably saw that I was queer I didn't even know myself and like you literally spent time with me more than anyone else did those were the folks. Mm -hmm. Those teachers who just can show that they care about kids as people and not just as students, who I think are the most impactful. Like I had this one English teacher <laughs> in high school who I was being bullied, cyber bullied mostly by these two girls. Oh my God. And like I would just go and hang out in this teacher's office and like, talk her and she would just listen to me and without even naming the girl she knew who I was talking about mm -hmm. so like you know teachers pay attention yeah <laughs> you know to stuff like that and so like I don't know I think like little things that you can do like she didn't you know talk to the girl's parents or anything like that that would have put me in a weird position um she just listened and like that's just like what I needed so I don't know <clears throat> things that you can do to show that to show trust and build trust with students yeah. go a long way. Like apologizing to kids when like you are in the wrong as an adult, as an authority figure goes a long way. Mm, that's interesting. With, with yeah. students, like, you know, like I, <laughs> I had this one kid who was playing with a, a hairband on his wrist or whatever. And um, I was like, you know, that's fine if it stays on your wrist, but if it goes flying, like it's, my, I'm going to hold on to it for you. Because, <laughs> <laughs> that is a safety issue at that point or whatever and of course he flung it at another kid <laughs> so I took it and he was just like you're stealing you're stealing from me I'm like no I just like need us to be focused and like you know safe in the classroom or whatever yeah. so I tracked him down after school to give him back his fucking hairband <laughs> <laughs> because like I didn't want him to think of me as somebody who took away something from him or is trying to steal from him like exactly. I wanted to show him like that this is there are just time there's a time and a place and like you know like we have to be safe around other people. So I'm like, here's your hairband back. <laughs> I'm not stealing from you. <laughs> I just want it to like not have it flinging around the classroom. Like, please understand where I'm coming from. Also. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, but he was just so like, oh my God, she's stealing from, she's taking this thing. Aww. And so like, I don't know, whatever. I'm like, I hope that that meant something that I like went and returned it to him <laughs> see you're gonna be like in 10 years at a TGI Fridays and he's gonna be like the waiter <laughs> and he's gonna be like oh Miss Brittany you were the best teacher ever I remember <laughs> see my mom was an English teacher and this happened to us all the time <laughs> like just kids coming up 
So oh, um, we'll be through awards. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also like even if you never see him again, like the stuff that stands out, you know, the, the, you never know what those little trajectories are. Like, but there are some very poignant moments, you know, that you especially in school because you're in school so so long as a kid, like that really affect you. Yeah. Oh man, thank goodness for both of those characters. <laughs> yeah. The last thing I have on here is drinks. I have Malta, which is a soda. I had to look this up. It is a soda-like beer. It's actually a Goya brand, so maybe don't drink it now. And then Carib beer, which is a Trinidad and Tobago style lager. I'd never heard of that either, but her boyfriend is from Trinidad and Tobago. I can't remember which island he was from specifically, but the topic I have is performance without definitive outcomes. At the end of the book, the end scene of the book is very triumphant. She finally gets to go and read her poem on stage at the you know spoken word poetry night, which is competitive. Spoken word is competitive. There's a score, there's a winner. You know, um, it's kind of like one of these circuit uh, situations where like you, if you win at this level, you get to go to this level, you get to go to this level, and eventually you can go to nationals. And there's no score, it's just the poem. And then it's the standing ovation. Mm -hmm. So you don't know what the result is. Yeah. Like she could have lost that night, but it doesn't matter because what she wins is just the experience itself. And I loved that. Yeah, that was great that she didn't have to be the driving winning thing. As she was just, yeah, I won by speaking my truth in front of my family and having them not walk out on me. Yeah, in the audiobook, the poem that she reads um, is like, I forgot the name of it, but it can be read two different ways, like read across or something or read like down. I don't know. I forgot the specifics, but she read it both ways in the audiobook, And I thought that was really cool because she said that she didn't intentionally start writing it that way. Uh -huh. And then it just like happened oh, wow. to, to work That's cool. both ways. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember what that's called, but I like that too. Because so then, yeah, at the end of the audiobook, you get the second version and you're like, haha, yeah. Extra content. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's like at the end of the audiobook for Lovely War, we learned all of that extra content, like the historical and about the music and everything. I've come to really enjoy that. It's always a surprise. <laughs> like, you never know. I just, I just finished reading that, or I just finished the audiobook for this. Um, book by Nancy Farmer, who's like a famous Newbery Award winning middle grade and young adult author called The Scorpion King, or no, The Lord of Opium. The House of the Scorpion is the first one and The Lord of Opium is the second one. And at the end, it's an interview between her and the person who does the audio book. Ah, like, oh, cool. nice. <laughs> that was cool. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Because I'd never heard her voice or an interview with her before. And I was just like, wait, I have literally read almost every single book by you. I have been following you since middle school when I read The Ear, the Eye, and the Arm. I have loved your books forever. And like, there you are speaking to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Audiobooks where there's some kind of like performance aspect. Um, so like this one, you know, it sounded like a spoken word and Lovely War where it was like the different narrators like playing the different characters like it just adds like an extra special touch it really does those little yeah little bonus things on the end or whatever also just like oh <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. Although it can go the other way too. I remember one of the YA sci-fis that had a male lead and a female lead. It, the guy who was reading it sounded like he was 45 years old. He's, oh. he's supposed to be like a 17 year old, like soldier guy. And I'm like, this man has led platoons to their death. <laughs> like, he, is, he is so old. <laughs> this is not yeah. fun. The narrators, <laughs> the narrator can really make or break it for sure. Like I have listened to sample audiobooks, and then within a minute, I'm just like, no, no. <laughs> I can't like, your voice. Yeah, but when it works, it works. Yeah, totally. Actually, Jamal has really gotten into The Diviners. Oh, yeah. And Ooh. the final book in the series came out. And so he's listening to it first before me. This has never happened before. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Unprecedented in the YA world. And I was like, don't tell me. No spoilers. Don't tell me. But we were both talking about how the narrator is so good. And she's this, like, she was a soap opera star. And now she's doing, and, like, the Diviners is a huge number of characters. And she's doing all of them. Oh, wow. And we're both, like, Ooh. really into it. I think her name is January Lavoie. But she's just like real, and I was like, yeah, totally. The the narrator makes it breaks it. He was trying to read. He was trying to. He only does audiobooks. He was trying to do an N.K. Jameson novel and just couldn't. Mm-hmm. He was like, I think it's the narrator. I just don't know what's happening. <laughs> He's like, I've listened to. I'm in chapter nine, and I still don't know what's happening. And I've listened well, to it twice. Are so complex, though. I think that'd yeah. be really hard to keep track of in an audiobook because you can't refer back easily. Like her societies are really like. Mm entrenched and set up and like well fully realized yeah i was like you're not gonna know what's happening until maybe midway between the book and even then the second one is more clear (laughs) (laughs) i also found out and i think this is really interesting he listens to it at like one is like half speed or like less than full speed so i'm like all of these are are like accessibility tools Mm -hmm. it makes me happy (laughs) That's all I have for this one. Yeah. Anything else we want to talk about? I can't think of anything. So, look at the teeth. Look at the I want some hood girls looking back at it and a good girl in my tax bracket. Got a black card and less sex habit. These Chanel bags is a bad habit. I, I do balls, down Mavericks, my Maybach, Black Maddie. Bitch never left, but I'm back at it. And I'm feeling myself, Jack Rabbit. Feeling myself, back off. Cause I'm feeling myself, Jack off. He be thinking about me when he wax off. Wax off? Yeah, National anthem, hats off. Then I curve that nigga like a bad toy.